It's now time for Remember When with Uncle John. John Guess, Washita County's resident storyteller and local historian. Sit back now and enjoy a walk down memory lane as John recalls the days of yesteryear in his own unique way. You never know, some of it might even be true. So here's Uncle John, along with his trusty sidekick, Kelly Blair. Back on Remember When with Uncle John. Well, here we are at the start of a brand new week. Got Monday going on all day long. You know, we skipped Monday last week, John. I was all for that. I suggested we do it again this week, but they wouldn't let us. Well, you know, we got to go, got to go. Absolutely. What do you want to talk about here today? Well, you know, yesterday was June the 6th, which was my anniversary, by the way. Absolutely. And, you know, it was, uh, you know, if you listen to Convoy, it was a dark of the moon on the 6th of June, remember? <laughs> there you go. But uh, on June the 6th, 1968, uh, Senator Robert F. Kennedy was gunned down in the Ambassador Hotel uh, after giving an acceptance speech. And uh, you're not old enough to remember that. You weren't born in 1968. I wasn't even born. I'm not sure I was a twinkle in my parents' eye at that point. And you know, I you know I don't want to get into politics. I don't want to upset anybody or anything like that. You know, but uh, if you look at the uh, historical record, uh, Bobby Kennedy and Kenny O'Donnell probably saved this world. You know, during the uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis, the the third not the Cuban Missile, the Russian Missile Crisis. There you go. And the Cuban Missile Crisis because that's where they were. Right. Uh, Thirteen days in October, you know, in 1962. Things got kind of tense. And, uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> President Kennedy sent the little bulldog, you know, to go straighten things out, and he did. And whether you like him or not, you know, or whether you even want to admit it, he probably saved the world. Absolutely. But, you know, I remember I was only eight years old. <clears throat> but the thing I remember most about it was they put him on a train to carry his body to uh, Washington. Right. And... Uh, I think he went all all the way across the country on a train. Wow! And it was a you know, they would they would go through towns and people were lined up on the side of the tracks and everything you know and waving the American flag and and things like that you know and it's just a uh, it was a turbulent time. You weren't you weren't even born, but and I, I'm not I wasn't very old, but I'm old enough to remember what it was. Uh, it was just a, a a crazy time in this world. We think we got it crazy right now. You know, I was just about to say the th same thing. We think it's absolutely nuts right now, but ain't nobody getting shot. No, no. And, you know, uh, it was, a, of course, the Vietnam War was going on, you know, and then, of course, in, in 1970, the Kent State shooting, you know. And it's just, it's, it, things were, things. it was just a crazy world. And it's not, it's, it's kind of upside down right now. But you look back on it and you didn't know, you know, Vietnam was going on and, and people were getting killed left and right. Bobby Kennedy, you know, and as, again, I don't want to get into politics, but you know, they were a they were a silver spoon family, right? You know, they had they had everything at their at their whim, but you know, he was a compassionate person about the poor. Yep. You know they they were they were really they were really concerned about about uh, the poor and the in poverty, and uh, you know things that were going on in this country and. People that didn't have enough food to eat, and you know they 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 were really they really they really cared about the little man, and that's that's a that's a big statement to say. Well, why, you know, how could somebody wealthy like that care about the little man? Well, they did, and you know, again, I don't want to get into politics, but uh, it changed the world. Uh, he would have most likely went ahead. He would have got the Democratic nomination, and uh, Richard Nixon probably couldn't have, wouldn't have beat him. 
and uh, there wouldn't have been no Watergate. <clears throat> so, you know, it changed the course of the world. No question about it. And, you know, I think you've got the – you hit the nail on the head right there. What he really represented more than anything is change, and change scares the devil out of a lot of people. It does, and, <clears throat> of course, just like me and everybody else, when, we're dead, when we die – all kinds of things will come out about him, you know. But uh, he wasn't perfect. He wasn't an angel. None of us are. And, I'm, again, I'm not getting into politics. But it was, a, it was a, a, a crazy time. And the thing I remember is just being a young boy and watching that train cross the country. You know, it had, the, it had him in a boxcar with the doors open where you could see the casket when, you went, when, you know, when they went through town. Wow. And, you know, it had a flag on it. And it was, it was a, a poignant thing to watch. Uh, for a young boy, yeah, and, no and, question. You know, it it just uh, it changed. You know, it, times was different. If you wasn't around then, it's hard to explain what it was like. Back on Remember When with Uncle John. Well, we are screaming right through this week already. Tuesday got Monday behind us. That's a good start. But uh, John, you looked up and you said, "Hey, you know what? It is baseball season. I mean, we got College World Series going on. Of course, Major League Baseball's going on." Got our very own Arkansas Pulpwood team that has kids from Fordyce and Woodlawn and Harmony Grove and Camden Fairview and Bearden and everybody's playing on it. Lots of baseball being played right now. You know, yesterday we talked about events in 1968. There you go. On this day, June the 8th, 1969, Mickey Mantle gave his farewell speech in front of 60,000 people in Yankee Stadium. The Mick. The what? mixture. There you go. Number seven. From Commerce, Oklahoma. Who would have ever thought it? You know, I think the greatest of all time. Okay. There you and, go. And stats don't prove that, but when the boy got out of Oklahoma, it was party time. Yep. Absolutely. But if there were if there was ever a man invented to play baseball, it was him. Well, Mickey Mantle was just an outstanding athlete. I mean, he could have played football, probably. You know, that's a that's a bit of a stretch. When you say, Oh, that guy could have played professional football, a lot of people are like, Yeah, right. But Mickey Mantle probably could have played football, especially with his pain tolerance. He just decided he'd rather hit a baseball than rather get hit by a bunch of people trying to tackle the fool with the football. And you hear about a lot of people whose dads don't don't help him. Don't don't pay him any attention when it comes to sports. His daddy was just the opposite. Absolutely, he was there and he he every day after work, and he turned him into the the baseball machine that he was. Absolutely, I'm old enough to remember when that happened. I I don't remember watching it on TV, but I've seen film clips of it, and the guy was a humble guy. You know, he was just a genuinely humble guy, but. He got out of Commerce, Oklahoma, and the world was big and shiny and <clears throat> and twinkling, and he had to uh, he had to find out what it was all about. Had he had been as dedicated as some of them, and had worked as hard at, <laughs> at at playing as he did playing away from the field, he would have been the greatest of all time. Well, and not only that, but just think about about the medical advances since 1969. I mean. Mickey Mantle tore up his knee, I think, a couple of times. I'm not 100% sure, but they could completely rebuild that knee nowadays, put some bionics in there or something like that, you know. And he he could have probably extended his career twice as long, even if they just had the medical technology back then. And, you know, the story behind that is uh, Joe DiMaggio, before he retired, uh, fly ball, 
and he didn't go to get it, and Mickey did. Mickey caught it and stepped in a uh, sprinkler, a sprinkler hole, you know, in yep. the in the in the field is what messed his knee up. The yep. first it, the first major injury, it, and it was never quite the same. He just kept re-injuring it after that. And and you know him and uh, him and uh, Billy Martin and and Whitey Ford, you know they were they were a trio of. Of, of miscreants. There was never a party in New York City, the party town of all party towns, that they didn't uh, ever turn down. And Billy Crystal, I've, I've watched a lot of shows with Billy Crystal on there talking about him being a young boy and going to Yankee Stadium and just idolizing Mickey Mantle like all, most boys did at that yeah. time. Great line. He said they had a black and white TV, so when he went to Yankee Stadium, that was his first game in color. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Mickey was, Mickey was, in my opinion, the, the, the greatest. Yep. He was the best all around had he have applied himself uh, to his profession like he did to his vices. Uh, he would be. He would own a lot of records right now. Hey, just seven or eight years earlier, he was the one that pushed Roger Maris, you know, in that yes. great home run competition yes. for Roger Maris to break Babe Ruth's all-time home run single-season record. Uh, Roger Maris will tell you in a heartbeat he wouldn't have been able to do it without Mickey applying the pressure, also trying to break the record, and Mantle batting behind Maris in the lineup. They had to pitch to Maris before they got to Mantle. And, you know, Roger Maris looked like a science teacher. He didn't look like a ball player at oh, all. And you talk about total opposite of Mantle. He, did, he, did, he was an old grump. He didn't want to go out doing all the partying right. and everything. But Mickey Mantle was a, a star from the very beginning, a star that, bright, that burned bright for a while and burned out because of his own, own misuse of his body. But in my opinion, the greatest of all time, and he said goodbye on this day in 1969. Hey, Mickey said it best himself. If he knew, if he had known he was going to live and play that long, he'd have took a lot better care of himself. I, I can, I can concur with that. There you go. Back on Remember When with Uncle John. Well, here we are in the middle of the week already. That means it's wassling Wednesday around here. These parts. Who you want to talk about today, Johnny? That the, the show on Vice. Uh, about the wrestlers. Dark side of the ring. Dark side of the ring. Yep, there you go. Uh, last week, they had on there Aurelian Smith. Oh, okay, yeah. Better known as Grizzly Smith. Grizzly Smith. I know who you're talking about. Who now. I remember as being Bill Watts' right-hand man. Exactly. I, you know, you and I were talking before we hit the record button here. I don't have a clue what Grizzly Smith did in his actual in-ring wrestling career. He was always the promoter for Louisiana and parts of Mississippi that I knew of that Bill Watts teamed up with to get Tri-State Wrestling going at first and then later Mid-South Wrestling. And, of course, Bill Watts called him the ma uh, the matchmaker. Yep, he was the booker. Matchmaker Grizzly Smith. But he uh, he actually was in the oil field, worked in the oil field. The guy's seven foot tall. Yeah, he's big. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, was going to the bars and stuff like most folks do after they get off and and met a couple of people that said, man, you ought to get into wrestling as big as you are. So that's what he done. Yep. And uh, – he, along with a guy named Luke Brown, were the Kentuckians, and and they held tag team championships all over the country. He won he won the Texas State Tag Team Championship with with Fritz von Erich, uh, a tremendous wrestler. Yep. Uh, big big tall guy, you know, but apparently just a piece of trash. Oh yeah, not that he never was up for Parent of the Year, uh, to say the least. Uh, of course, his his son Jake the Snake. He's got three kids that wrestled. Rockin' Robin, Sam Houston, and, of course, the most famous, Jake the Snake Roberts. Yep. Uh, who I think could have been, like we talked about Mickey Mantle, 
uh, could have been one of the all-time greats had he applied himself. When you talk about the psychology of the ring and one of the best interviews ever, Jake the Snake's right up at the top. And, of course, he had that gimmick with the snake. Yeah, actual and snake. With the bag over his shoulder. Damien. Uh, Damien. You know, and, and just, uh, uh, hey, he had what it took. But the guy spent 20 years on cocaine. Yep. Admittedly. Can you imagine the money yep. he threw away and, and the, the opportunities that he, that he squandered? Uh, but the the dad, you know, Grizzly Smith was just a uh, uh, terrible person. If you watch that show, and I, I always read that, heard that, he uh, he just was a terrible person and didn't encourage his kids. Uh, gave one son up for adoption. Yep. And then they had a he had a daughter, their sister that came up missing, was kidnapped and presumed dead. They never found a body, and there was all kinds of speculation about that. But just a uh, a tremendous wrestler, uh, great for the wrestling world, but he, like you said, he didn't win Daddy of the Year nowhere. Not anywhere close or anything. And unfortunately, you know, Sam Houston, I remember him, and that there's something to be said by that because a lot of people, you know, 10, 15 years from now will be like, you remember that Kelly guy on the radio? No, who are you talking about or whatever. Sam Houston won Mid-Atlantic Heavyweight Championship over in the NWA. Uh, he competed in the WWF. Rockin' Robin was a women's champion and everything. But you could take both of their careers, multiply it times four, and still not add up to a fourth of the career that Jake the Snake Roberts had. He's the one that really powered that family. The reason why we're still talking about them today is because Grizzly Smith was Jake the Snake Roberts' daddy. And, you know, when it comes to Sam Houston, his greatest claim to fame was he was married to Baby Doll. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, How does that Robert, work? <laughs> How does that happen? <laughs> and and she she's got a good a good uh, interview in the uh, the TV show about it, the Vice uh, special about it. Uh, she is in love with him, crazy about him. Yep. But he just had Jim <laughs> Jim Cornette said, and I don't know if he was trying to be facetious, but he looked serious. Said that Sam Houston owned the record for the most DWIs in Texas. Hey, got to be known for <clears throat> something like that. The he, most DWIs in the state of Texas. And he actually ended up going to prison because of it. Every time he'd get in trouble, his daddy would get him out of it. And it got to the point where he couldn't help him no more, and away he went. But, you know, can you imagine if they say you own a baseball record in the Bush Leagues, it's like, okay, so what? But if you own a record in the major leagues, now you're talking about something. To be have the most DWIs in Texas, <laughs> that number's got to be on up there. Yes, it is. But a great wrestling family, but, uh, you know, all, all sorts of uh, – uh, Drama, all sorts of <clears throat> stuff in the closet. It's just a, a, a great story. To say that they uh, majored in dysfunction would be an understatement. That that right there is where they ought to be. The, the dysfunctional family of the championship of the world. Back on Remember When with Uncle John. Well, here we are, the next best thing to a Friday. John, you said you also wanted to talk about one of your best good friends coming up uh, through childhood. Last week I had a uh, post on Facebook. You know, I got this superior autobiographical memory that everybody talks about. There you go. Uh, June the 3rd, 1975, I was 15 years old, barely 15. And my daddy sent me down to the cafe in Chittister there, Brown's Cafe, to get him a milkshake. Mm -hmm. And there's a gentleman sitting in there, and it didn't take a, a detective to a, a private investigator to, to see that the guy was not feeling good. Yep, his, <clears throat> his night had done spilled over into his day. Having breakfast, and you could tell he didn't, he didn't really, he was doing it because he felt like he needed to. Mr. Daniel Dean Tackett, better known as Danny Tackett, uh, graduated high school right over here at 
right across the road from Fairview, and one of the greatest rock and roll country drummers you'll ever see. There you go. Uh, I met him, sat down, talked to him a few minutes. He asked me if I wanted to make $10. $10 then was a lot of money. Absolutely. It was three half gallons of spinata mainly. And uh, I went and helped him, went to the Sunset Lounge. First time I'd ever been in a bar in the middle of the day. And went in there, and we tore his drum set down and moved it to the hideaway, which is where the sandbar is now. There you go. And we, we, we became instant friends. Uh, he, was, he was a lifelong, real close friend of my good buddy Gary Stifler, who's another drummer that was raised two blocks from here over on Jenkins Street. Danny was, uh, to put it lightly, a ladies' man. There you go. He was a he was a good looking guy. He had a great attitude. And of course he was a musician. A drummer. A drummer. And you know, they, they just they get uh, they get they get the attention of Absolutely. the young ladies. Danny was just a great guy. Uh, I told the story on Facebook. The last time I saw him, uh, he came to one of the came to Guest Fest. Uh, all the band, everybody that was in the band White Oak came. Okay. And uh, a lot of musicians was there the last time we were all together. And uh, <clears throat> he's getting ready to leave. And I walked around the corner of my house, and he was sitting on the front steps by himself. And uh, I said, Danny, what's wrong? He said, nothing. I just got you something. Because I think it was actually the day of my birthday. Oh, okay. And um, he gave me this gift bag. And, you know, I was trying to figure I know it's got a bottle of whiskey in it or <laughs> something like that. And I reached in it, and I pulled out a Hawaiian shirt. There you go. And and he just grinned real big. He said, when I saw this, I just knew that your life wouldn't be complete till you had it. Absolutely. And uh, it's one of the greatest things. It was kind of strange. And I still wonder about it from time to time. But I hung it in my laundry room. And I told my family, as long as I'm alive, as long as I'm alive, it stays there on that hook. There you go. Danny, Danny passed away in 2007 of cancer. Uh, and I did not see him in his last days. And I'm glad I didn't. Uh, I, I I know he looked terrible, and he didn't. He was like you can't imagine the ladies' man that he was. Everywhere he played, he had him. He had throngs of women around him. Great guy, one of those people that you uh, you just instantly fall in love with his attitude. The guy I never saw him mad in my life. Never saw him upset. Uh, never heard him say a bad word about anybody. Uh, great guy. He brought me a. Uh, a cigarette lighter from, uh, I believe, the uh, Aladdin Hotel in Las Vegas one time. I still got it. Wow. Uh, <clears throat> like all drummers, my friends that are drummers, he gave me a drum key. He said, you know, a drummer ain't worth the salt if he don't carry a drum key with him. And uh, I got a whole bunch of them because I got a bunch of friends that are drummers. But Danny was just a class guy, great guy, born and raised right down here at uh, Slaughter's Dairy. Uh, Clarence and Mildred Tackett were his parents. Great guy. One of those memories that you have that makes you smile every time you think about it. Absolutely. There you go. I mean, and those are the kind of memories, as we've said, that bless and burn. And I want to remind everybody about the Monday Night Fellowship, first first Monday Night Fellowship at the Chittister Baptist Church. Uh, next Monday night starts at 630. I don't know what they have on the menu, but it'll be good. They'll have a speaker. They'll have a, a, a brief message. But a great evening of fellowship, good food. Uh, everybody come on out about 6, 6.30. They're at the Baptist Church in Chittister. Absolutely. There you go. You've been listening to Remember When with Uncle John on Y95.
This broadcast can be heard each weekday morning at 645 on South Arkansas's favorite station, Y95.